0: I'm Beth Bennett.
1: And I'm Kendra Kruger. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter.
0: Today is Tuesday, May 12, 2015. Coming up, we hear about this weekend's Gold Lab Symposium from its founder, Larry Gold. And we'll look at a new way to understand chronic pain. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science.
2: And for that, here's Daniel Strain. Bats, as any cave diver can tell you, make their way through dark, twisty tunnels by emitting noises, then listening for the echoes. Now, new research suggests that these furry flyers have their own built-in zoom lenses. It's all in their mouths. In a recent study, scientists spied on a type of bat called Bodenheimer pipistrel bats as the animals navigated through their surroundings. The team found that the creatures could shift the sorts of sound waves they emitted, producing narrow or wide beams of noise just by opening and closing their mouths. That ability seems to allow the bats to quickly switch their fields of view, much like people use binoculars to focus in on one object in a crowded field. It's a sensory feat that's unmatched in the animal world. The researchers reported last week in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. For How on Earth, I'm Daniel Strain.
0: Every year, over half a million people die from malaria, making it one of the biggest global health threats. Because malaria parasites replicate inside human blood cells, the red blood cells of people in malaria-plagued regions have evolved to fight the disease, but at a cost. One copy of the sickle cell gene makes it harder for malaria to invade a red blood cell, but two copies create the fatal disease sickle cell anemia. Now, research conducted at Harvard and published in the journal Science has revealed a way to prevent malaria from entering red blood cells, even without the sickle cell trait. The trail to this discovery was hard to find because mature red blood cells shed their nucleus, and thus evidence of their coding instructions. So the Harvard scientists studied red blood stem cells that still have their nucleus. They identified a receptor molecule on red blood cells that's essential for parasite invasion. The researchers suspect that changing or blocking this receptor might reduce malarial infections. On this week's science calendar, check
1: out CU Boulder's Fisk Planetarium, where the weekly Colorado Skies lecture series takes you through our night sky here in Colorado. And check out Fisk as well for a new planetarium experience known as Bella Gaia. Bella Gaia is a multimedia show about outer space created by award-winning director and violinist Kenji Williams. Find out more about days and times for the show through the Fisk
0: Planetarium. Or if you like your science outdoors, go to the annual tree walk at the CU Boulder campus you'll learn about the majestic 100-year-old cottonwood outside Old Main, which are native to Colorado. You'll see trees imported from the East Coast, the Southern U.S., Europe, and even Asia, trees rarely seen in Colorado except at CU. The free tours start at 5 p.m. each day this week at the south entrance of the Natural History Museum. Find out more by calling the CU Natural History Museum. And good luck to Colorado whiz kid Jesse Zhang, a
1: senior at Boulder's Fairview High School. Jesse is one of 40 high school students around the nation who are finalists in this year's Intel Science Talent Search. His topic, Effect of the Atlantic Ocean on Sudden Stratospheric Warming.
3: Oh, another outbreak! Another outbreak of a super bug! Of An epidemic Come on, some another failure of wonder drugs. another outbreak of a superbugs.
1: You are listening to How on Earth, the KJNU Science Show and I'm Kendra Krueger. That music you just heard comes from two doctors who will be performing in person this Friday and Saturday at the CU Boulder Gold Lab Symposium. The theme of this year's Gold Lab Symposium is the tug of war for better health care. The symposium will look at cancer research, big data, rare diseases, end-of-life decisions, diet and nutrition, personalized medicine, and more. To to reserve your free spot, sign up now at goldlabfoundation.org. That's goldlabfoundation.org. Now here's Shelley Schlender. Talking to the founders of the symposium, talking to the founder of the symposium, Larry Gold. Well, they'll talk a little after a bit more music.
4: Health care business ain't fair business. We gain when care's denied.
5: Larry Gold, when someone walks around the CU campus at Boulder, you can walk into some buildings like Munzinger or the Science Building right next to it, and there's a whole part of the building that's called the Gold side of the building is that you
6: <laughs> it is me yes it's me
5: when you walk into the bio Frontiers building there's a lot of it that says larry gold about how it was made possible
6: yep that's me too
5: what makes you somebody who has been so instrumental for the scientific community here in boulder
6: i did a lot of inventing when i was in the faculty full-time uh, and we had patents, and we ended up making a lot of money for the university. This was the Turk and Gold application of 1990 that led to the company Nexstar, and it led to Soma Logic, this present company that we've done. And the university has this way of sharing monies with the inventors. And you were the inventor. I was one of them. The Craig Turk, this wonderful graduate student, was the other And so I got more royalties uh, into my university lab than I needed. I don't want to take credit for my own money. There were monies I got that were royalty monies, and I didn't think of those as my monies, to be honest with you. And so we put those monies back into things we we like.
5: So you've done that for years, and for the last few years you've been conducting the Gold Lab Symposium, which is free and open to the public and brings people from all over the world to Mm -hmm. talk about different topics of science and health.
6: That's right. This is the sixth, I think.
5: What are some of the events happening this time that you're especially intrigued by and hopeful about?
6: We've done something that I've never heard of in my whole life of going to symposia, which is that each year we invite all the speakers who have previously spoken to come back. We don't pay them anything but their expenses to be part of this dialogue that we hope is going to make a difference for healthcare. I don't think it's possible to be at our symposium and not have new ideas about the science you might do in your lab. I think that's for sure a benefit. That's one goal. I'm a scientist and I I like that goal. My real goal is slightly bigger. Scientists don't need my help most of the time to think about what else they might do. I mean, scientists are, you know... Anything. They're kind of busy. Well, they're busy, and they're arrogant, just like me, and everybody kind of thinks they know what to do, and that's okay. The problems about transforming healthcare, care as opposed to making science better is a harder problem. We've always had a few kinds of people that are not really scientists but are something else.
5: Now, this year, you have some doctors who are here as your Gilbert and Sullivan.
4: Take two aspirants call me in the morning.
3: The less we do now, the more we make. Now you got it. You know,
4: this is
6: pretty intense, this symposia. And so this year we have Barry Levy and Greg Lagana, who are a group called Damaged Care. And they're both MDs, and so they both thought hard about what you do as an MD. So they've lived the problem, so it'll be interesting.
5: And so you have these smart people who are very entertaining, interspersed with some very heavy-duty topics such as William Robinson about malignant melanoma, the tumor that used to give cancer a bad name. That implies that we have real solutions to malignant melanoma now.
6: That is what's happened. It's one of the great miracles of Oncology research, there are now two drugs that are available for people with advanced melanoma, stage four. And Bill Robinson, who is down in Denver at Anschutz, has been at the forefront of clinical testing of all the hopes, the drugs that have come along for melanoma for 30 years. And he is a stunning clinical academic scientist.
5: Well, stage four means that you don't have much chance of living very much longer.
6: So no one is sure about exactly whether it's 30 percent or 40 percent, but a big number of people who were going to die quickly now have durable, cancer-free survivals that have gone on in some cases for three or four years instead of death in a few months It's an astonishing development. The makers of these two drugs, one is Merck and the other is Bristol-Myers Squibb, it's fantastic.
5: Who is the drug company that works with SomaLogic now?
6: We've announced two. One is Otsuka Pharmaceuticals in Japan, and the other that we've announced is a big collaboration with Novartis.
5: And which two companies are making the drugs?
6: Neither of those. It's
5: independent well, of yeah. those companies yeah. you're connected to. Sure. Now, how about this with these... You think I'm a
6: shill? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Oh, no, it's more, yeah. it's
5: more that I'm just curious because I want to know. Yeah, no. But getting back to the cancer, the malignant mm-hmm. melanomas, mm-hmm. a lot of your research and a lot of the research of these scientists has centered on figuring out how to measure things, what seems to be the problem, and what seems to be working, and some of the huge milestones that have been made in how proteins in the body form and how to tell which proteins have impact on health and disease. Does that all tie in with this malignant melanoma that's not as much of an issue?
6: Uh, it, it does. The breakthrough that Merck did and Bristol-Myers Squibb came about because academic scientists, in this case, a lot of it was from Johns Hopkins, the idea was, gee, if cancers are a little different from normal tissue, wouldn't it be nice if we could just sort of turn up the immune system to recognize a tumor as non-self? And the drugs that these two companies are now selling, they are likely to become useful for more than melanoma.
5: Okay, so you think significantly that the drug itself that boosts the attention of the immune system will be good for a lot of cancers? I
6: hope so, we all hope so. And the the amount, you know, the doctors, oncologists, all doctors, they can use that drug off-label. That's a legitimate thing for a doctor to do. And and so there's a lot of off-label use that cannot be promoted by Merck or Bristol-Myers Squibb. They don't do that, it's illegal. But doctors who don't have a vested interest in the success of the companies use drugs to help their patients. And there have been wonderful cures, apparent durable cures for some period of time with these drugs aimed at non-melanoma, bad, late-stage disease.
5: I suppose in the audience you'll have some people ask about side effects.
6: Yeah, I know what the side effects of this drug are. When you turn up the immune system you run the risk of causing an unrelated autoimmune disease.
5: Well, that makes sense because mm-hmm. if the body is looking harder to find something that's foreign, it might get confused and think, say, your knuckles are foreign or 100, 100, your pancreas is foreign.
6: 100% right. And there are lots of autoimmune diseases that come about because of just that. And so the fear you have is that there will be side effects. On the other hand, The side effect from metastatic melanoma is death. The average person is willing to risk an autoimmune disease in the interest of having some more time with a high-quality life, and that's what's happening. And so I did get Bill Robinson, who's an old friend, to come up and talk about this. And the last time I saw him, I asked him. He said, yes, (laughs) yay. And all of our speakers for your audience all the speakers have been warned about 100 times by me to talk English. And, in fact, if you were in the audience and somebody said something you didn't understand, you would raise your hand and say, excuse me, I didn't know what that word means. That's okay. That's loud.
5: One of the most famous Nobel Prize winners in the world will be speaking at your conference, somebody who is in that building, the BioFrontiers building, that you helped make possible. you mean Tom. Tom Cech, who's going to be talking about
6: cancer. The number of genes today that tumors mutate to avoid dying is large.
5: Tumors don't like to die.
6: Tumors do not like to die.
5: But they've forgotten that if they don't die, they die sooner because then the whole body dies.
6: I don't think the brain of a tumor is kind of organized that way. The the brain of a tumor, to the, which is a bad phrase, the cell is an autonomous thing, and they grab the niche and grow. Anyway, having Tom talk will be wonderful. In all the years that he's been away and now back, what people don't realize about him is he never shut down his lab and he never stopped after winning the Nobel Prize. He never stopped being a great scientist. It's just fantastic that he's going to do this. Well, give a sneak preview. What's he going to say? I'm not sure. I heard a, I heard a talk two months ago, and I thought, yeah, that might be it. So I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do that. I'd let them do what they want.
1: Thanks to Shelley for that report. Boulder scientist and inventor Larry Gold is the founder of the Gold Lab Symposium. It's this Friday and Saturday at CU Boulder in Munzinger Auditorium. The conference is free, but you need to register. Find out more at goldlabfoundation.org.
0: Pain has a purpose. It can stop you from touching a flame, for example, or walking on a broken leg. As an injury heals, the pain goes away, usually. But worldwide, one out of every five people suffers from pain that lasts for months and even years, leading to lost jobs, depression, and rising despair when medical interventions fail, or health experts hint that a pain sufferer is making it up. Up next, how a nurse Shelly Schlender talks with a support group about chronic pain and talks with scientists about new techniques for mapping pain in the brain which are helping to validate chronic pain and might someday guide better treatment
4: i think about like people who've had to deal with this all their life
1: i feel like i'm still in the early stages six years
5: this is a support group in boulder colorado for people who suffer from pain that's lasted for years and because they look normal the depth of their chronic pain can be hard for others to imagine
4: if you have ever Hit your, your hand with a hammer or been in a dental office and had your teeth drilled without Novocaine and to where they hurt. Imagine that didn't stop. Imagine the pain that happened and didn't stop. That's what this is like, and that's why it's so tough to, to tough it out.
5: Charles Horowitz, the counselor who leads the group, has chronic back pain.
4: Docs don't seem to understand what's going on. First, they they say, Well, let's try this, let's try that, it's probably this. If you're lucky. And then, what they do is sooner or later, they're probably going to say, I think you need to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Who? Raise your hand if you've had this kind of any of this kind of experience.
5: Medications for chronic pain often become so addictive, doctors urge patients to wean themselves off of them. But Lauren worries that without drugs, she won't be able to endure her chronic neck pain.
2: That's what the doctors kept telling me as they were taking away my meds and telling me to go see a psychiatrist.
5: For constant headaches that have lasted 10 years, Maggie yearns for a non-drug alternative, but tells the group she hasn't found much support for that.
2: Yeah, I've been to a few, like, very prestigious headache hospitals where I just got pumped full of drugs, a lot of which I told them I was not tolerant to, and they didn't really listen to me at all, so I just ended up getting more drugs.
5: And then there's Marianne, who reports that doctors seem dismissive as she describes her aching muscles and no, joints. You're still the same person inside. You just
0: feel...
4: You're faking, right? You're, 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 you're making, <laughs> making this up. It's
0: skeptical, like you look normal, but you're, you know, you're telling me all this other stuff. It doesn't add up.
5: No medical test can show I, chronic I, pain, I, I would but new forms of neurological answer. mapping uh, by Harvard researcher Klaus Lindman reveal that different. even without obvious tissue damage, people who report whiplash pain have more nervous system activation in their necks. For the pain of tennis elbow, the activation is near the elbow.
6: A lot of patients are met with skepticism that oh, it's probably nothing and you're just complaining. But we're trying to get a, a good objective marker of, of the ongoing suffering that these patients experience.
5: Brain imaging from University of Colorado scientist Tor Wager shows differences between long-term pain and sudden pain. To demonstrate sudden pain, he pours a mug of coffee.
3: Definitely hot. <laughs> hot coffee. Yeah, it's hot. I could probably stand that for five seconds <laughs>
5: wager says that sort of pain triggers centers in the brain that govern fast action like pulling your hand away
3: so when i touch that hot cup of coffee the pain signaling goes from my body to many places in my brain at once
5: in contrast chronic pain activates brain areas tied to emotion and memories and what he calls caring.
3: so when we have people experience this hot stimulus and then imagine that it's, it's burning your hand bubbling blistering it gets worse.
5: But when they focused on calming images instead, Wager says the caring centers lit up and the pain eased.
3: When people imagine the warm blanket on a cool day, they increased activity in this system and the pain went down. Your ability to work with pain you know, mentally can have effects on how this system amplifies or diminishes pain.
5: This makes sense to Horowitz, which is why these days he spends more time with friends as one form of reframing pain.
4: I was very, very disabled in the 90s. I had to crawl to the bathroom at night. I still have 40% chronic pain every day, but I knocked off 60% of it. And one of the steps was being around people. And even
5: more than medication, he favors meditation.
4: No effort. Just you breathe naturally.
5: Horowitz is hopeful that in the years ahead, discoveries from researchers mapping the brain will help identify just what therapies work best for each sufferer and lead more people out of the tangle of chronic pain.
4: Deep breath hold it and then let it and then let it out.
0: all for this edition of How on Earth. This week's show
1: is produced by Shelley Schlender. Additional contributions by Beth Bennett and Daniel Strain.
0: Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Damaged Care and Jonathan Goldman. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.